Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe, like the Bereans receiving the Word of God with all joy, but searching the Scriptures to make sure that these things are so. We just want to be diligent that we're looking at the Word of God in the proper way. Now, if you have a question, you can write the word question down in the comment section, and then go ahead and submit it. Facebook, they allow you a few more words. On YouTube, a few less. If you're listening to this on our podcast, welcome. We hope that this blesses you. I had a conversation with a young man before our Wednesday night service, uh, and he made mention that he believed differently than me on election. And so I asked him if he was a Calvinist, and he said yes. And um, I said, what scriptures do you use that to, to support being a Calvinist? And he went over a few of the scriptures that Calvinists usually use, and I made a couple of suggestions. I told him, I'm not trying to persuade you. I just want to kind of let you know there's a few different ways to think about this. One of the passages that he had brought up was the vessels of honor and dishonor passage, uh, Romans chapter 9. And so I thought we'd go back and take a look at this. Uh, We've looked at it a couple of times. We looked at it specifically under the concept of Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And how that's a quote from the Old Testament. And he's not talking about the individuals, Jacob and Esau. He's talking about the nations of Israel, Jacob, and Edom, Esau. And that the Edomites had rejected God and they had become his enemy. And that's why God had hated him. And that Jacob he had loved because God had chosen to love Israel, the nation of Israel. When you can't, you can't take something in the New Testament and divorce it from the Old Testament quote. You've always got to go back and take a look at it and see what does it mean in the Old Testament. So I have here um, just a um, verse 14. I just want to start here of Romans chapter 9. It says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Now, whom has God chosen to have mercy on? God has the right to choose whoever he wants to have mercy on. The Bible never says anywhere that God chose people before the foundations of the world to be chosen or lost indiscriminately or whatever wording you want to use because I, I, I don't want to I don't want to turn Calvinism into a, a straw man. I, I want to really look at what they say and represent them properly. But they believe that God has chosen people for whatever reason before the foundations of the world to be lost and to be saved, to give mercy to or not to. Now this is true, but who is he chosen to give mercy to? And is it individuals? He's chosen to give mercy to those who believe on his name. That's the mercy. So, I will have mercy on who I'll have mercy on. And, and you can't come back and say, God can't have mercy on those who believe in, it, in his name because God's chosen that. And I will have compassion on whoever I have compassion. So then, it is not of him who wills, but of God who shows mercy. So, I don't get to choose how I'm going to receive God's mercy. God's the one who gets to choose. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name may be declared in all of the earth. So God had raised Pharaoh up, but Pharaoh had already hardened his heart, and then God hardened his heart further. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. God chose that Pharaoh, who didn't believe but hardened his heart, to harden his heart further. You will say uh, to me then, why does he still find fault? 
for who has he resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? What uh, will the thing formed say to the thing who formed it? Why have you made me like this? So, who are we to say to God how he has to give his mercy and show his mercy? That God has to do it one way or another. Does not the potter have power over the clay, the same lump of clay, the vessel of honor and dishonor? So, who are the vessels of honor and who are the vessels of dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels prepared for, for destruction, those who didn't believe? and that he might make known the riches of his glory on vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory those who believed even us who are called um or who he called not of the jews only but also of the gentiles so this is a mixture of jews and gentiles those who believe and i will call them my people who are not my people this is the church and her beloved who is not my beloved and it shall come to pass in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. Now, how do we become a son of the living God? It says in John 1, 12, as many as receive him, he gives the right to become a son of God to those who believe in his name. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, though, um, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. This remnant is a remnant of those who will end up believing. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we would become like Sodom and would have become like Gomorrah. What then? What shall we say then? That the Gentiles did not pursue righteousness? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? Notice that those who are saved founded by the righteousness of faith. This is what the Bible says. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, the objection here is going to be that faith is a work, that it is meritorious. But if I am, I heard this analogy. If I'm shipwrecked in the middle of the ocean, there are sharks all around, and a boat pulls up and sees me, and they throw me a, a, a rope and I grab a hold of it, and they drag me over, and they pull me up out of the water. I was not able, capable to save myself. I was drowning. The sharks were going to eat me. But this boat came in, threw a rope out. I took the rope, and I was drug up to the boat. Once I get onto the boat, I'm not going to say, did you see what I did? I grabbed a hold of that rope, and I, and I, and I allowed you to drag me up to the boat, and I saved me. No, I'm going to come up to the boat and say, you saved my life. The fact that I received the salvation that they were offering doesn't mean there's any merit in it at all. Now, they're going to say, well, you wouldn't even want to grab the rope. That's, that's what the salvation is like. I don't have anything in me that wouldn't even want to have that rope. But I don't believe that that is what being, um, I don't believe that's what being sinful or the sin nature does to us. It doesn't make us so we can't grab the rope. Uh, there are people who do and people who don't. Then it says in verse 31, but Israel pursuing the righteousness, pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. So Israel was rejected and became vessels of dishonor for this time because they didn't seek it by faith. The Gentiles are vessels of honor because even though they weren't pursuing righteousness, um, even though back here Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith.
So it's all about having faith and not having faith. This is the context. I'm not going out of the chapter to say this. This is the context. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. And works can never save you. For they stumble at the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lie in Zion, a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. When you are looking at context, it's not only the context of the actual chapter that matters, and this is what the chapter says, but think of the context of the entire Bible. The Bible clearly says, those who believe on him will be saved. That's how God has chosen it. And believing on him is not meritorious. It is not works. And these passages that are often used by Calvinists, they add in these statements that God chose before the foundations of the world, those who are going to be lost and those who are going to be saved without, without, you know, not, without determining, you know, for his own purposes. Where there's no passage in the Bible that says that. That's not taught anywhere in scripture. We saw last week in Ephesians chapter one, it says, to the faithful, he has predestined to become the sons of God. He didn't just predestine anybody, but predestined the faithful. Anyone who, who by faith trust in Christ can be saved. They're not saving themselves. In 100,000 years, I couldn't save myself. I don't have what it takes. I can't jump high enough. I can't do enough works. I have to have him save me completely and totally. He has, he has predestined me to be holy because I have trusted in him. How is trusting in him a merit? Now they'll say, well, you're saying, I'm, I'm better because I trusted him and they didn't. I don't think that's any better at all. In fact, I know myself. I just trusted in Christ. And if they trust in Christ, they can be saved too. The same thing is available for everyone. And so I do appreciate this young man and, and he knew, he knew the, the passages well. It wasn't that he hadn't thought them through. I was just wanting to give him some different, uh, the different views on these passages. Because sometimes if all you hear is the one side, then you don't realize, you know, there's another way to look at these passages besides what we have been taught. And all of us can fall into it. That's why we want to compare scripture to scripture. That's why we want to rightly divide the word of God. That's why we want to check and see whether or not the things um, that are given uh, are actually in context and said in the right way. There's a lot of passages in the Bible that are used out of context in the wrong way, quite regularly by, by evangelical Christians. Okay, so um, we have our first question today from Note, uh, Not Woke. Not Woke, good to have you here. And um, so Not Woke says, we are told there's rewards when we die. Someone told me everybody gets rewards, but not everybody is righteous. Some are going the opposite way. So is there a negative reward? <clears throat> ah, so the Bible never says, the, the passage, let me see if I can get there with it. It's, it's, it's at the very end of the Bible. It's, it's in the book of Revelation, the passage that you're talking about. So Revelation 22, let's see if I can go here. Blessed are those who keep my commandments. Um, and Jesus, the Robson, or David. Let me see. Um, surely I come quickly, even so quickly, Lord Jesus. Um, so what Jesus says here is, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me. Let me get, yeah, here we go. All right, so it's Revelation 22, 12. Let me just go ahead and put this up on the screen, not woke. Uh, and I'm glad to hear you're not woke. Um, 
So verse 12 says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. So when you read that, you go, okay, to give to everyone according to his work. But this word for reward could also be, uh, could be wages. And let me just see really quick if any of the other translations use the word wages here. Verse 12. Just checking this out here. Look, I'm coming soon. Blesses you. Keeps the words of the prophecy written in this book. Um, let's see. Got to get to the right spot. Yeah, verse 12. Look, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me. Let me just go ahead and go over to... Um, I'm going to go over to my um, Strong's Concordance and pull it up in there. It'll only take me a couple seconds to do this. Revelation 22 and then get to verse 12. Um, Revelation 22, 12. 22, verse 12. All right, here we go. quickly, And my reward is with me. So I'm going to put this up on the screen here while I read it. So it's mistoth, or mis, uh, mistos, mistos, um, a pay for service, good or bad, higher rewards or wages. So you see, the word that is translated rewards can be translated wages or pay for service, either good or bad. Okay? So when we think of that, now we go back to what it says in Revelation 22. I'm going to go to the New King James, New King James version. I changed it over to the NIV. By the way, I use U version of of the Bible. Um, really, I use it when I study. I use it here. Um, it's such a good online Bible, and they've got some great Bible studies with them. A, a lot of great features. We're going to be um, adding some of the content from the church onto you version. So it's, it's a really good, it's a really good thing. Um, it'd be great if there was like a strong concordance connected to it so that I'd have to go out of it and back into it. So let's go back to this again and let's read it as wages. Behold, I come quickly and my wages are with me to give ev to everyone according to his work. So knowing that mythos means pay for service, whether good or bad, and it can be translated reward or wages, then we we know here that to give to everyone according to that his reward is wages. And so if you've done bad, then you're going to get bad if you've done good. But those of us who are in Christ, we, we've done bad as well. But our, our bad is put behind his back, is dropped in the sea of forgetfulness, so that I am only rewarded or the wages for what I've done that's good. Now, some people will say, well, you can't do anything good. Uh, let's let God be the judge of that. I think that a lot of things that look good are not good, the, and, and a lot of things that look like they might not be good are good. God's the one who can judge those things. Uh, we are not good judges um, on those kind of things at all. All right? Not woke. So hopefully um, that clears this question up. So they're absolutely right. It does say that you're going to get rewards um, from everyone. Everyone is going to get a reward from God. But the word is mythos, which really means um, wages or pay for service. I'm just going to go back and see if this word 
bit more. Yeah, so I'm just going to show you this as well. So I'm back at the I'm back at the Strong's page here. So this is again the word um, mythos. Okay, Strong's number mythos. It's um, word pay for service, good or bad, higher rewards, wages. So then you come down here and you see how many times it's translated. It's translated reward and higher two times, um, reward higher, and then wages one time, wages one time. So uh, most often it's it's reward, and that is probably due to context that it comes down to being reward most often. But you can see that actually even in the King James Bible, and I would be interested in how much more often it is it is called reward in like one of the newer versions like NIV or ESV. All right. So thank you, uh, not woke for your question. Uh, very good. Um, so we don't have to go to negative uh, rewards, although wages can be negative wages. You can, you know, pay for service. You can do things that are bad and, um, and, and well, not get your wages or get wages for bad things, which would not be good. So we have a question from Jari. Jari, good to see you. Jari says, um, why did the man who was demon possessed have an entire legion of demons within him and not just one? It only takes one demon to do significant damage. Thank you. Thanks, Jari. I, I appreciate that. There are a lot of things that we know about the demonic realm. There are a lot of things the Bible's told us. A lot of things that we know about not giving place to the enemy um, to flee temptation. That the evil one can't touch us when we're in Christ. And there are things we don't know. But obviously a spirit, a, a large number of spirits, which take up no space, can inhabit one person. And so for whatever reasons in the demonic realm, these spirits had decided to possess this one man. And we're not told why or how that many demons can be in one man. We're just told that that's the case. It's interesting when you go back and you look at the story. This is the, the story of the Gadarean. Um, he's a man who lived in tombs, broke chains, that Jesus cast the demon out and he's still demon-possessed. And I think that what happened was he cast a demon out and there were the rest of them in there. And so finally he ended up you know, what's your name? We, we are legion from we are many. And he ends up casting down the pigs and the pigs run over into the water. This is in the area of the Decapolis, which is an area that would have Gentiles. And maybe it's been suggested that these were Jewish people bringing up these pigs. And that's why Jesus allowed such a thing. I don't know. A lot of speculation going on there. And a lot of times we just have to say, we're not really sure. But what we do know, Jari, is that more than one demon can possess a person. That's what we know. That's what helps us from this passage. So there are things we learn from it, even though we go, how is that, why do that and how do that? I don't know. I'm sure there are reasons, but we don't know um, what they are. But we do learn that demons can possess, one more than one demon can possess a person, which is a pretty scary thought. Um, yeah, so uh, fact check these hands. Um, your thoughts on Israel being at war, Psalms 83, followed by Gog and Magog. Yeah, perhaps. Um, I think we are marching. I was texted by a friend as to what I thought about this this happening in Israel. Uh, it's a reminder that, that, that God in the end days is going to make Jerusalem a couple trembling and that the whole world is going to be drug into war because of Israel. 
and you have Gog and Magog. You have this alliance of nations, which includes Turkey and Iran and the north, far north, which we would think would be Russia, the far north. Um, Gog is an individual. Magog is the region. We do know what the region of Magog was. We know that it also, as as Gog and Magog began to move out, it moved further and further north. So this is why you get different people that have different areas. So some will say, well, Magog was Turkey. Well, at certain times it was. The people of Magog lived in Turkey. But then they kept going north until finally they were in the region of what today is Russia. So when someone says, well, Turkey is Magog, well, they're correct. Uh, and Russia is Magog, they're correct. You have to look at the time that they're talking about it. But I do believe that this is another birth pain. Jesus said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that these things do not bother you for the end is not yet. So just because there is a war doesn't mean that we're there yet. In fact, there are, are going to be, there are going to be wars, but it is a birth pain that helps us to understand that Jesus is going to, is going to return during one of these birth pains. Let me go to Matthew 24 here, and I'll read this to you. And I think it will be a little bit helpful to us. It says, um, Then Jesus went and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said, Do you not see all of these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So that's the case with the temple. Some people try to say that the temple walls, the, the retaining wall of the temple is still up, so this wasn't fulfilled. He was talking about the temple, not the retaining walls. This, and then he says, now, as he sat down on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And will it be the sign of your coming and of the age? And Jesus answered and said, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and deceive many. So we're going to have many deceivers that are going to come out. There are many deceivers that are out there now. That's why we want to stay true to the word of God and not get into weird teachings. It says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of war. So we're hearing of a war right now. See that you are not troubled, for all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and pestilences, earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. So they are all, this is the word for sorrows here, is birth pains. So all of these are the beginning of sorrows. So when we see Israel talked about being restored in the latter days and Magog and God coming after them in the latter days and a war in the Middle East and Israel declaring war, it is a reminder. This is a birth pain. This is one of the beginning of sorrows. Now, we go back to what Jesus said when he said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. So, hey, look, we're, we're, we, are, we are upset because we love Israel. We pray for Israel. We have friends in Israel. I have friends in Israel that they're going through this. It's like a 9-11 moment for them. They have 83, as last time thing I heard, people that have been taken captive and are being held, including elderly women and children. And, and that, would be, that would be a war crime if it wasn't a terrorist act. In other words, if this was a country that had declared war and then they took elderly women and children, th that's a war crime. So this is bad. What they're doing is bad and our heart goes out to them. But we don't go, this is the end of the world. We go, 
this is a, a one a birth pain and we're marching more and more towards the end and so we shouldn't be troubled by it but what should we do in fact check these hands we should make sure things are right between us and god be ready love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength make sure you know him repent from sin turn away from habitual continual sin and make things right before him that's what we do when we see these things and and one day the christ will come with one of these birth pains um, that's being listed here all right so um yeah and, and i will be explaining some of this tonight in the service as well all right so um not getting facebook again oh yeah we got a completely different look here today that is interesting okay well anyway so we have a question that keith has put on here from uh, melissa um cadman on facebook sorry uh how how are we supposed to see this whole issue of migrants being let through the border does leviticus 13 94 apply to this situation let's go to take a look at leviticus 1934. Leviticus 19.34. So let me go and put this up on the screen for you. This is Leviticus 19.34. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no injustice in judgment, in, in measurement of length or weight or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, honest, so you aren't to treat them any differently. The Lord God who brought you out of Egypt, therefore you shall observe all of my statutes, all of my judgments, perform them, I am the Lord. All right, so you are not supposed to treat them any differently and you're supposed to love them. And that's a really, I, that's, a, that's a really good passage. It's a really important passage. Now, that's obviously Deuteronomy. Dudo is two, our second um, it's Deuteronomy uh, law. Deuteronomy. It's the second law. So you've got the second generation that comes to back to the borders. The first generation didn't go in. They didn't have the faith. And um, Joshua and Caleb had faith and said, let's go take it. The other ten spies didn't. God sent them to wander in the wilderness. So the first generation died. <clears throat> and then the second generation came up. Now, Deuteronomy is written to them. It's a reminder. It's 40 years later but it's a reminder of the laws that were written in Exodus. And this is under the law because they are living under the law and God's giving them direction. And people talk about how horrible the Old Testament is, but yet here we have a passage that tells us clearly that you're supposed to treat strangers in a right way. Now we come to our nation. We come to the United States. And should we allow a stranger that comes illegally into our land. Was it possible to go illegally into the land of Israel in their day? There were certainly nations that you didn't want to go into. But there is a legal immigration. And I think that we've almost forgotten about that. So there, there were people in line who had filled out paperwork who were waiting to migrate to America. And remember, America is a nation of immigrants. Our, most of our ancestors 
immigrated over here. I should say all of our ancestors immigrated over here unless you are Native American and then really there was an immigration and with that as well. Over the Barren Straits, um, even though they're not really sure exactly how it happened, but we're all immigrants. And so, yeah, we should have a heart for immigrants, but there should be a legal way to enter in. And are they really fleeing from something that is that is dangerous? Or are they just wanting to come into the United States, illegally come in and, 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 and be dealt with in a certain way, move into the United States? It's certainly not any better for them here. They're sleeping in airports in Chicago. They're, they're flooding um, San Francisco. Both of these are sanctuary cities. So they go to these cities. Um, New York is a sanctuary city and they're destroying that city. So what we're doing is not having compassion on them. It's like not taking care of the mentally ill. By not having a place that we take care of the mentally ill, like St. Asylums, awful things were done to St. Asylums are horrible places. Um, but there could be a better way to take care of the mentally ill. There could be a better way to provide for them. So are we really being loving towards these, these people who have illegally entered into the country? And as a, as a pastor, I want to them to see Christ. So I want anything that we can do to help them receive Christ, then I, that's what I want to do. Because that's our call, that's our vision, that's what we are. If I were elected into office, loved Jesus, I would say, let's stop them from coming in illegally if you want to have more of a workforce, then let them legally apply for it and let them come in legally. And because uh, I think they just gave 500,000 visas to certain Venezuelans um, that had come in illegally, as, as I understand it. So, yeah, I think that we ought to love and, and show the love of Christ. Are we doing them any favors by not stopping them at the border? and having them end up in New York, Chicago, San Francisco, other sanctuary cities, who sooner or later are gonna, are gonna, sooner or later these cities are gonna stop their sanctuary status. The, um, I, I saw an article that um, Kentucky Fried Chicken, um, well, just several, Starbucks, Starbucks, several restaurants are closing down in San Francisco because it's unsafe, because their customers are being attacked, because they can't sell things, because they're being robbed. And so these restaurants, these, um, these chain restaurants are closing restaurants down inside of San Francisco. So they're, they're losing it. Walgreens, CVS are not gonna stay there. Um, Osco, whatever, whatever drugstores they have are, are not gonna stay there. And so people are selling, they're not restocking their, their, their shelves, and so people are selling these things on the street. So is it going to be good to have a bunch of migrants in an area where they can't get food or help? Have we done them any favors by letting them come into the United States by rolling out a welcome mat to them? I don't think that we have. Certainly we want to be compassionate and loving um, towards those who are really in danger where they are. But because we've let so many people in now, we actually, we make it a free-for-all. And we have no idea who's coming in. We don't know how dangerous they are. Crime is spiked in the areas where the immigrants are. 
And is crime going to spike in other areas of the United States? Is that a loving thing to do? All right. So I just think I'm certainly not against immigration. I just would like to see it legal, legal immigration. Whatever laws you're going to pass, then uphold the laws because the laws are not being upheld. All right. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, we have a question from Matthew Wilson. Wilson. Matthew says, hello, Pastor. Uh, Robert, uh, hello, Pastor Robert. In Numbers 20, when Moses disobeyed God by striking the rock twice with his hand, what was the dishonoring God in that scripture? Because God had told him to speak to the rock. So, if in let me just, I'll, I'll, instead of going to it and reading it, I'll just tell you what. So God had told Moses the first time, strike the rock and give them water. So he struck the rock and the rock represents Christ. We know that from the New Testament. And water comes out of the rock. Jesus is the rock. Water comes out into us. And so the rock, the rock was struck. Jesus was struck on the cross so that we could have living water come into our lives. Then when the people were demanding water, Moses went to God and God said, speak to the rock and give them water. Moses got up in front of the, the crowd, and, and Moses has a, a bit of a problem with anger. I'll, I'll explain more of that in a minute. And he, he, he took his staff and he said, must I always give you water? And he kind of takes credit for God, and he strikes the rock, which he was told to speak to the rock. So God now doesn't allow him to go into promised land. He disobeyed God, and he was angry with the people when God wasn't angry with the people. And so he made it look like God was angry with them when God wasn't angry with them at all. And so that's why I think that God, that, that he was upset with him that he struck the rock twice instead of speaking to the rock as he had been told to. And if we go to Exodus 20 and read the passage that's there, it would become very clear. I won't do that right now, um, but... I just wanted to look and see if it is in Exodus 20 that we have this. Um, people are afraid of God's presence. I'm not sure that that's where the rocket struck at. But anyway, oh, numbers. That, duh. It's, it's numbers, not Exodus. Okay. But anyway, if you go back and you look at it and you read it in context, Moses was told to speak to the rock. He struck the rock. Always talk about Moses' anger. When Moses came down from the, the uh, Mount Sinai and he had the tablets with him, he saw the people dancing around the naked calf, I mean, dancing naked around the golden calf they were worshiping, and he threw the, the law that God had written on the ground. And God sent him back up on the mountain to get another set. So Moses seems to have had an anger problem periodically. One of them was when he said, must I always, how long must I linger with you? And he struck the rock. But God wasn't mad at them for asking for water. He saw it as them complaining, but God wasn't mad at them for asking them water. And so he was misrepresenting God and not doing what God had said. So there were several things that he did wrong. And this is why God did not allow him uh, to enter into um, the family man. I mean, into, uh, into the promised land. I was reading, Vin Diesel says family here. So I said family man, um, fan, uh, family. So um, um, Vin, are you the Vin I talked to at church a little while ago? Uh, maybe. All right, so let's see. We, got, um, we have another question from LH. Um, so LH says, do you see Hamas attack of Israel as an end-time prophecy? Yes, I do. Uh, because the Bible talks about wars and conflicts 
around the nation of Israel in the last days. Uh, does the Bible, is it specifically talking about this particular attack? I think in a general way, yes. The very fact that we're seeing wars going on in Israel. Remember, we're supposed to be praying, praying for the peace of Israel. The very fact that we're seeing wars going on in Israel and the Old Testament foretells that in the last days there's going to be wars in Israel. And this is kind of like an ongoing process. I mean, if we go all the way back to 1948, when they declared themselves as a nation, they were struck, struck immediately. Then there was the 67 war, then there was the Yom Kippur War of 73, and then there was the first and second and third intifada, which caused all kinds of problems. And then there were these different shooting rockets over into Israel. And Israel has been pretty complacent. I mean, they do strike back and then it settles into an uneasy peace. I think this is going to be different. It may cause Hezbollah that's in Lebanon to attack as well. If Hamas, Hezbollah, and, and Iran that has a base in Syria, all of them border Israel. Now we're really getting to the place where the nations around them attack them. And that's exactly what had happened in 1948, in 60, 67, and in 73. Okay? So I do see this as a fulfillment of scripture. I don't go to one particular passage, but a lot of different pictures that talk about war in Israel in the last days. And we're seeing war in Israel, and we're living in the last days. We know we're in the last days because God said, in the last days, I will bring them into the land. And then he's going to bring Gog and, um, down against him in the latter days. So we are living in the latter days now, um, for sure. Now remember, the Spirit was going to be poured out on Israel in the latter days. So the church age is the latter days. But then you have the last days of the latter days, okay? If that makes any sense. All right. So I do see it as being a fulfillment in um, of Scripture, and we will be talking about that some uh, tonight at church. I don't have a lot of time to talk about it because the message I've got is a little bit long, um, but I will be talking about it this evening and tomorrow morning in in church as well. All right. So I, I appreciate your um, I appreciate your question, L H, and uh, glad to have you here with us. So we have a question from Jari. Uh, it's a follow-up. Uh, it says, follow-up. Did um, we all come in illegally at one point? No. Um, Ellis Island. You would have to go to Ellis Island. And you'd be processed and being brought in. Maybe my ancestors came in illegally. I don't know. But no, there, we didn't all come in illegally at one point. Now, are you saying that the land belonged to the Native Americans, therefore we came in illegally? Remember that during... We can often be guilty of looking at what has happened in the past through the lenses of what's going on today, not taking in the customs and cultures of their day. Now, there's some different opinions as to what colonization was doing. Was colonization good or bad? And the answer to that is probably both. There's bad things that colonization did. We're talking about Britain colonizing the world. Remember, the United States was colonized by Britain. And then we rebelled against Britain and became the United States. War of, of uh, 1776, or, or in 1776, that's when it happened. So, was it illegal for us to rebel against Britain? Was it illegal for Britain to colonize the United States? 
as I said, there was a lot of good and a lot of bad that happened through colonization. Um, we don't have colonization taking place today. So in other words, you don't have Spain and France and um, England all in this race to grab as much land around the world as they can. That was happening back then. Now, you might want to call that illegal or evil if you want to, if that's what you're talking about, Jari. Um, but land has been switching hands since the beginning of time. And so I don't know how, you can, how much you can go back and say that what, what I'm doing today that my ancestors did to come here. Now, I think my ancestors came after, long after that. They came in through, um, they came in to the United States legally, I think. I mean, as far as, as far as I know, as far as I've been told. Now, whether I, what I've been told is true or not, but my, I do not go all the way back to um, the people who were living here during, uh, uh, during World War or, or during the Revolutionary War. My wife does. She goes all the way back to the Bradford that was on the Mayflower, but not me. So, yeah, I don't know um, exactly what you mean by that, Jari. All right. So, if you're visiting with us today, really good to have you here. Uh, if you have a question, you can write the word question down, and then you can write out your question, reread it, make sure it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit your question. Uh, we are going to be talking tonight about, and, and there's, there's not any more questions that are up here. So if you have a question you want to ask, then you can get it answered now. We've got another 20, 19 minutes or so um, in our Q&A. Um, tonight we're going to be talking about the Great Commission and how that really is the center mission of the church. And we see when the Gentiles enter into the church, when, when the Gentiles become part of the church. There's so much for us to learn from what we're going to be looking at at the end of chapter 10 tonight in our passage on the Great Commission and the first Romans to ever become Christians. And uh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty neat thing. All right. So uh, let me just go back here a little bit. Um, so we may just may go ahead and wrap it up now. Um, let me see what I've got here. I'm not sure what I've got on here. Let me, let me see. I might have some questions preloaded. Um, yeah, are there different kinds of demons? We kind of answered that question last week. Um, I'm just, um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of more prone now just to go, uh, let's, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, I appreciate you guys. We do this Q&A every every Wednesday and Saturday, Lord willing, or most Wednesdays, Wednesdays and Saturdays, Lord willing. Um, may you stay close to Christ. Well, before I do that, let me just see. Um, we have a question, a follow-up from Jari. Um, uh, we're getting a few questions coming in here now. All right, if you have a question you want to get answered, you're going to be able to answer it now. Um, so go ahead and submit them. A follow-up, was it from my uncle who doesn't believe in immigrants being illegal? Okay, yeah. Um, so I'm gonna disagree with him. So when you when you break into a country, um, let's just let's just reverse this a little bit. Why don't you go to a perfect example, Eric Bergdahl, fighting in Iran? Oh no, Iraq. Left his company and went to to 
where the enemy was fighting? Or what about the soldier that ran across to North Korea? You illegally enter a country and there's not gonna be good things that happen. So there really should be consequences for not going through the legal way to enter the country. And they're even beginning to, you know, the, the Democrats who have supported the illegal aliens coming into our country at an incredible rate. And they have been, a lot of them have been lied to, and I hate to go lied to by the media, but they have. So I, I listened to a podcast that has a couple who are, are liberals. And I listen to this podcast every week. It's about an hour long. And I listen to it every week because I want to hear what the, I want to get out of my echo chamber. I want to make sure I'm not just in an echo chamber. I'm only hearing what I'm hearing. And um, I heard them say not long ago, well, yeah, there's, there's 45,000 people coming over the border every month. But what they don't tell you is that all of them are sent back or the vast majority of them are sent back. Well, that's just not true. They're not sent back. They're sent into our country and they're accepted into our country. And there's a processing center and they are kept in cages even today. So we become so polarized that we can't see that even what is mentioned as compassion is not compassion. Is it compassion to bring someone into a country, into a sanctuary city where there are murders and rapes and thefts happening all the time and happening to these people who are there. Not only are there those that are doing it, but these people that are doing it. And I would question whether or not that really is compassion. Thank you, Jari. I appreciate it. So we have another question that is, comes in from Ashley. Ashley says, um, do we know how many children Adam and Eve had? I saw a video today that said in the hundreds, but it was based on the book of Jubilees and that seemed to not be trustworthy source. Yeah, so it's not a trustworthy source and we do not know um, how many they had, but if Adam and Eve were created and they lived to be however long they lived and they were having children fairly soon after they were created, which we think that they were, then and if a gestation period was nine months during um, in the antediluvian period, then yeah, they could easily have had children in the, in the hundreds because in a, you know, in a hundred years, if you're at a healthy age, how many children can you have? And so some people have put the number of people on the earth because of how long people could live, even though there were shorter generations as an extremely large number because of being young and healthy and living for a hundred years. And if there's a nine month gestation for the child, then all of a sudden, man, you can have a lot of people who've lived on the earth during the flood. I think you can get to billions of people alive during the flood by doing the math. I've never done the math because I'm not good at math, but I've had people who could tell me, have told me that they've done the math and that they've gotten to billions of people on the earth. All right. So, um, Jubilee, Enoch, um, some other books that may be quoted or mentioned in the Bible, because there are several other books that are mentioned or quoted. It doesn't make them scripture because they're mentioned or quoted in the Bible. It just means that something from them was, was brought into the scriptures. Again, take it into context. It doesn't make it scripture. Okay. So it is an untrustworthy source. Um, but they might be right in this case. All right. Pokey says, um, with the 9-11 attack, so 
do speak in Israel, would this be a step closer to Ezekiel 38 and 39? Yeah, I think it is. And that's what I meant, Pokey, when I said that I believe that this is prophecy because you have this war at the end of the age after Israel is restored. So when you start reading Ezekiel 36, you see the land is restored, then you see the people are restored, then you see that there's an attack and then they're destroyed on the mountains of Israel, and then the children of Israel are restored. That is spiritually. So the beginning of the restoration starts with the mountains of Israel, and that happened in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Then they became a nation, and that's the dry bones, the valley of dry bones that rattled together and came together and weapons came in their hands. That's the nation of Israel. Then you have the war that happens at the end and the latter times or the latter days, the latter days of the latter times, and then you have them saved, which happens during the tribulation period. And this is Romans eleven twenty five, and so they will all be saved. So yes, I do see this as being one step closer uh, to the Gog and Magog war. Now, I'll, I'll say this too, Pokey, it is prophecy. And so we're looking out and trying to make the best uh, interpretations that we can in prophecy. And a lot of times once we get past it, we realize, well, that worked out differently. It says this, and this fulfills it perfectly. But it, we can look back and see prophecy much clearer 2020 than we do looking ahead. All right. So um, I do appreciate that. And I do appreciate uh, you guys. I'm going to um, go ahead and close out, get to church a little bit early tonight. Uh, if you, um, I hope you're, you're doing well. Love you guys. Uh, stay close to Jesus. Like I said, make sure that you are right with him. Let the inner man be renewed day by day. Let the conviction of the Holy Spirit work inside of you so you get things right. Look for the way of escape and temptation. If you've got a behavioral issue, you've got something going on, look for the way of escape in the midst of temptation. Walk in the Spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. All right? So I appreciate that. I'm not going to take uh, this last question, sorry, um, uh, about that. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Love you guys wrapping it up here. Um, yeah, 10 minutes early. So uh, we will be back again on uh, Wednesday night, Lord willing, uh, for another Q&A. All right, God bless you guys. Stay close to Jesus. I'm out.